Hi besties and welcome to another episode of the Spooky Ripped Jean Mom. This is episode two and I'm so excited. Um, I am absolutely floored by the number of people that listened to the podcast, that subscribed on iTunes, that followed on Spotify, and like all the love and support that I've been getting on Facebook and Instagram. I truly love every single one of you even the people that I may only know over social media because you guys have tuned in and we have probably never met in person and you still listened and have supported me and you all hold a very special place in my heart. Um, So fun fact, this week is my first week back to work in a couple of days and we have a couple people out and so we're a little short staffed so we've been having different hours which I love and hate at the same time. Like, I love getting out at 5 p.m. East Coast or West Coast time, and it's fantastic being home and being able to get stuff done at home. I don't like it, though, because at work, I feel like there's not enough hours in the day anymore to get some stuff done. Usually, we work on freight from 11 to 5, so the hours were currently open right now, and right now we can only work on freight from 11 to 3, and usually if there's three people working, that's like five or six more boxes that can get done, so it's like rushing around everywhere. And in Washington, I also live on an island where it used to never get hot enough for houses to need air conditioning, and my house was built in the 1980s, so we don't have air conditioning, And last summer, it didn't get too hot where we needed it, so we just have not installed it yet. But that has been a downfall this summer. For two weeks straight, we had like 90 degree weather, so our house would get up to 93 degrees. I had to put my daughter, her name's Paisley, I had to put her in this like storage container without the lid on and me supervising and put her bumbo seat in some like cold water so she could splash around and cool off and I had to take her on walks because it was cooler outside at night than it was inside the house and so this week isn't as bad as in heat wave like that last time about a month ago but the house has gotten up to 86 degrees and so you guys don't have to hear the fan running in the back I have it off so I'm sitting in my room it's like 86 degrees and I'm sweating I also didn't change out of my work clothes so I'm still wearing ripped jeans and a tank top which the tank top's fine but my legs are super hot and I definitely should have changed before I started recording but at this point I'm already fully committed and I'm just gonna go with it um so in today's true murder crime we have Alaska which a fun fact my husband's dad was in I don't know why like I paused there like I was gonna say my husband's father-in-law but he's my father-in-law um he was active duty air force and he was stationed in Alaska in Anchorage in 1997 1998 because my husband was definitely born in 1998 and not 1997 um but he had where am I going with this okay 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 I got it I got it he 
was born, my husband was born in Anchorage on January 1st. He was the first baby born in Anchorage, Alaska for 1998. Fun fact, he will tell everybody that. He takes pride in that story, as he should. He was in the newspaper. Um, and so I was telling him about this, and he's like, that happened in Anchorage? And I was like, yeah, but like not any time close to you being born, so you're fine. But yeah, it was pretty cool. So it is about Robert Hansen, aka the Butcher Baker. Um, so you can already see where this could be going. So Robert was born February 15th, 1939, and he has passed away. He died August 21st, 2014, which I don't know if it's just me. It could be just me, but I feel better. I'm going to sound like a terrible person and I'm so sorry, but I kind of feel better when serial killers have already passed away because I know they're not out there right now still killing people and I don't have to worry about them like I have to do about the rest of the serial killer population that is still alive. He was born in Easterville, Iowa, but he moved to Anchorage later on in his life. He was born to Christian and Edna Hansen. It did not tell me in any of my research that I really did that he had any siblings, so he could have, but to my knowledge, he doesn't. I like to start with a little backstory to him, to all of my serial killers, um, just because I like, I think I said in the last podcast, I just like to know what kind of built them up to this point. Usually it's mommy or daddy issues, but that's not my business. So Christian, his dad, owned a bakery and Robert would have to work there for really long hours after school when he was just a kid. Like they said five years old was when he really started to work there. People in the community described Robert as a loner and quiet. His relationship with his dad was not the best because Christian was strict and dominating, which back in like, you know, the early 20s and 30s, I feel like people always said that their dad was strict um, because I just honestly think that's the way that it was back then. Um, So in school, Robert was bullied because of his acne and he ended up developing a stutter. Because of this, he didn't get the attention that he wanted from girls. They made fun of him too for his acne, did not find him attractive. And this actually forced him to have a resentment and start hating women, which obviously because what male serial killer doesn't hate women. Robert was born left-handed, but he had to learn how to use his right hand and make that his dominating hand because his teachers in school did not want him, did not want to have to teach him how to write left-handed because they didn't know themselves since they were right-handed. This ended up making his speech worse, and he created a stutter, and then the bullying didn't help. That just made the stutter worse. The one thing, though, that Robert had in common with his dad was their love for hunting, and when Christian would pass away, he would basically give Robert 17 different guns, and all I have to say is only in America because who in their right mind needs that many guns? I I don't know. After high school, Robert actually enlisted in the U.S. Army Reserves, and that was in 1957, but he was only in 
the army for a year before he was being discharged. Nowhere where I read, and honestly that was like three articles because they all pretty much had the same information, said anything about why he was discharged. Um, I want to assume with his speech and everything that it would more than likely be medically, but also again because it didn't say, I don't want to just say. So my opinion is it's medically. Robert did end up getting married, but he was actually married twice. Uh, The first one ended in divorce after only six months because of Robert's first crime, which did take place in Iowa. After being released, he met his second wife. Her name was Darla, and they got married in 1963. After getting married, they would move to Anchorage, Alaska, and Robert would actually end up opening his own bakery. So, the one nice thing about his dad was that he learned this business, which, I mean, after being in jail, probably helped him a lot and being discharged from the army. And then Darla and him ended up having two kids of their own. So you might be thinking, oh, because they moved together, they had, you know, two kids, they opened up their own bakery, that their relationship was really, really good. Well, jokes on you, it was not. Um, It was said that Darla had her master's degree in education, which can we take a pause and like say you go girl because, you know, I guess it was more common for women to be going to college than it was in the earlier 1900s, but for her to have a whole master's degree from what I've read back in like the 1950s was really rare for women to have so she's doing her boss babe shit you know but sadly all of her own money from teaching kids with disabilities would go towards the house bills and everything like that and her kids while all the money that was made from robert's bakery went solely to robert or the bakery he did not use his money on his family whatsoever if it involved them he was out of it Um, so that's really the only thing for the backstories that we have on Robert, which I know I said in the last one, I like giving backstories just kind of hear where they come from. Um, but now we're on to the crimes. On December 7th, 1960, Robert was arrested for burning down his school board of education school bus garage. So the county he went to school in that all the kids bullied him, he burned down the school bus garage three years after graduating high school. Like, the kids in there didn't do anything. And the fact that you burnt down the bus garage, now the kids just can't go to school. Like, where was the logic? He had none. Um, But he did get the, like I said, did this to get revenge for being bullied in high school. And then this is when Robert's first wife left her, or left him, (laughs) left her, whatever. Um, He served 20 months out of the three years he was sentenced. And during this time, a psychiatrist in the jail said that he was bipolar or manic, had manic depression. And then he had episodes of schizophrenia. And then the psychiatrist 
that also diagnosed Robert said that he had an infantile personality and always felt the need to get revenge on people that he felt wronged him, which I mean makes sense. He burned down a school bus garage instead of the school to get back at kids that probably didn't even bully him because they were too young. Um, so after this in Iowa, he was jailed several more times, but just for some like petty theft stuff, five finger discount, stuff like that. Um, it was then in December of 1971, so 11 years after him burning down the school garage, um, he was in Anchorage and he was arrested twice. The first time for abducting and attempting to rape a housewife, and the second time was for raping a sex worker. Also, on this podcast, we say sex worker because, um... Spencer Henry on The Cult Leader made a very good point that get your money how you can and it's 2021 and we do not judge people so we will not be using the word prostitute on here um, because I really liked that you know some people have to do what they have to do because other places won't take a chance on them so we say sex worker um Robert ended up pleading no contest to the assault with the housewife And the rape with the sex worker was actually dropped as a plea bargain. He was sentenced to five years, but fun fact, he only served six months. Um, He was placed then in a work release program and was released to a halfway house. Through this whole thing, his wife Darla supported him 100% because she said as a Christian woman, she believed that faith would bring him out of this and onto the path he was supposed to be which like okay girl like have you not seen the other things that your husband has done it's cool it's cool then in 1976 robert pled guilty to larceny when he was found stealing a chainsaw from a fred meyer now if my midwest people don't know what a fred meyer is it's the west coast and apparently alaska equivalent to a meyer that's the only way I know how to truly describe it. I mean, they have other things in there. It's like their own little department store, I guess. Like, I know the one here in a town close to me called Burlington. It has, like, a jewelry section, a whole bank, like a case jeweler, jeweler in there. Um, different types of clothes, a whole grocery store section, beauty. Like, it's its own basically department store but it is equivalent to a Meyer. um so he got five years and had to receive psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder but the alaska supreme court ended up reducing his sentence to time served this man keeps catching all the breaks all of the breaks it is believed that robert started killing in 1972 And Robert's M.O. was to pick up sex workers, force them at gunpoint to his cabin, and then he would proceed to rape them. Then he would fly her out to a secluded area and hunt her. Then he would stab and shoot her once found. He literally would treat them like wild animals. And when I first read this, I'm not going to lie to you, I teared up. Like, how do you treat someone like that? You hate women that much that you fly them on your own plane from an airport to a secluded area to hunt them like prey it is oh i hate it i absolutely absolutely hated reading it 
But now we're getting into the murders. On June 13th, 1983, Robert offered a 17-year-old girl named Cindy Paulson $200 to perform oral sex on him. And when Cindy got into the car, Robert pulled his gun on her and then took her to Muldoon, where he had a house. He had a whole separate cabin. He held her there while he tortured and raped her. Cindy told police that she was chained by her neck attached to a post in the basement anytime Robert wanted to take a nap. And I guess he took a nap on a nearby couch to kind of hear her to see if she was trying to escape. Um, And then when Robert woke up, he put Cindy in his car and took her to the Murnell Field Airport where he was going to fly her to his cabin by the Kinnick River. I think I pronounced that right. But Cindy was able to escape when Robert was loading the plane and then she ended up running towards 6th Avenue. Um, She flagged down a car and she managed to get his attention. His name was also Robert. Um, He stopped. I'm going to call him by his last name. His last name is Yont. Yont stopped because of Cindy's appearance Um, She wasn't wearing shoes. She stated that she left her blue shoes in the car to prove that she had been there. Which, honestly, like, smart girl. Like, pin it all on him. Make it so he goes to jail. Um, But after dropping her off at the Mush Inn, so she could call her boyfriend who was staying at the Big Timber Motel. He called the police. Yont did. Um, Because he had to continue on to work. He was a truck driver, you know. And he told the 911 operator that there had been a woman he picked up and took to the hotel who had been handcuffed and she was currently barefoot. Sydney had to plead to the clerk to let her call her boyfriend. Which, like I said, he was at the Big Timber Motel. So he was at a completely different place than what she was at. When the Anchorage police showed up to the mush in to get Sydney. The clerk told them that Sydney took a cab to the Big Timber Motel and then Alaska police arrived and went to room 110 where Cindy was still handcuffed and alone. She just still had the handcuffs around her hands. Um, she wasn't chained up anywhere which I mean still traumatic to still have these handcuffs on you and not be able to get out but like thank god she got away from him. When the police took her back to the station, they had her describe who took her. And when they actually questioned Robert, he denied everything. He then told police that Cindy was making false accusations because he wouldn't pay for extortion demands that she was making against him. So even though Robert had priors, a ton of them, especially for raping women, raping women, whatever um Peyton can't talk today they let him go um because of him being a baker and as well as an alibi from his friend John Henning which like John Henning you can go to hell because you know damn well he was not with you and you lied to the police um and that honestly kept him from being considered a serious suspect and her case ended up going cold. Enter Detective Glenn Floth. He was an Alaskan straight trooper and he had been investigating with the whole team the discovery of several bodies in Anchorage, Seward, and 
Mauenuska. I'm so sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, the first of the bodies were found by construction workers near the Elklutuna Road. Um, and they did not have an identity to her, so they named her the Eklutuna Annie. And um, later in the year, the body of Joanna Messina was discovered in a gravel pit near Seaward. Then, in 1982, the remains of a 23-year-old um, Sherry Morrow were found in a shallow grave near the Kinnick River. Um, Detective Floth knew there was only one killer. The M.O.s were just so on point that it could not have been a copycat. That um, he reached out to the FBI and specifically to Special Agent John Douglas for a profile on the three bodies. Uh, Special Agent Douglas thought the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem have a history of being rejected by women, and would even want to keep items from his victims. Douglas also believed that the killer would have a stutter. Detective Floth continued to investigate until he got back to Robert, who matched the profile and had his very own plane. So, with Sydney's testimony and Special Agent Douglas's profile, the Alaska police were actually able to get a warrant for Robert's plane, vehicle, and home. On October 27, 1983, investigators found jewelry belonging to the missing women in Robert's attic. They found numerous guns as well as a chart with 37 X marks on it, which was hidden behind Robert's bed frame, the like that where the headboard is. Um, and where each X was on this chart, a body had already been found by police or was found after the police found this chart. I don't know if you guys are putting the puzzle pieces together, but when I read that, that told me there are 37 bodies somewhere. Or, there's bodies found at those X's, but some of those X's are where he wants to hide. Bodies he hasn't done yet. Um, creep me the fuck out. If you hear dogs barking, um, my neighbors two doors down don't have a fence that separate them between my neighbors. Um, and so they come up to my fence and they bark because they want my dog's attention and if I cut it out it'll keep happening so we're just gonna ignore it and we got sidetracked we're fine so back to Robert Robert denied until he couldn't anymore he then placed a blame on all of his victims um to try to justify everything he did he eventually admitted to all of the evidence and said he had been killing women in Alaska since 1971 it is now 1983 so we're talking 12 years um he said that his first victims were between 16 and 19 and not all were sex workers until the last ones so he was just killing random people and then hunted sex workers and then started killing them so these are the known victims that he has Robert raped over 30 women, and it's believed that he killed at least 17 of them. Their ages all ranged from 16 to 41. Some of the victims weren't found until after Robert was found with the chart. And out of the 17 women, he was only charged with four. Those four are Miss Sherry Morrow, Joanna Messina, Eklutina Annie, and Paula Golding. 
He was charged with kidnapping, assault, multiple weapon offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. One ballistic came back. He wanted... Once ballistics came back... Jeez. He wanted a plea bargain, and he ended up pleading guilty to the four homicides and provided details about his other victims. In return, he served in a federal prison, along with press not having access to him. He also had to decipher what the X's meant on his chart, which they later, later came out and said it was an aviation map, and he had to locate the other bodies. He confirmed that the way police thought Robert killed was actually correct. So police were like, is this your MO? And he was like, yes, that is it. That is exactly how I killed those women. Which, bleh. Robert also told police that if women could convince him that she wouldn't go to the police to like turn him in then he would let her go but they had to convince him um robert showed the police 17 grave sites out of the 17 the police only knew about five of them some of the marks he just would not give up so this meant a total of 12 bodies were exhumed by police out of 21 just 21 bodies right there and only 12 were told about which I mean is more than half but like what about the other families like closure but I mean he didn't care about that the jury ended up sentencing Robert to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole now I may sound uneducated when I say this I almost said uneducated duh um but I never understand why giving them more then life in prison is a thing. Like, 461 years in prison, is he... I mean, we can all probably agree that if there's a hell, he's going straight there. So, is that is that the extra time? Like, once those years are up in hell, then he gets to, like, go, if you believe, in heaven to heaven? Like, what is the process of 461 years? Like, why not sentence him just to death in prison? Why... Why all those extra years? Is there, like, a benefit to the other families? If anybody knows, please DM me on Instagram because I have no idea. I guess I could look it up, but that's not fun. I want to interact, you know? So, he was sent to the U.S. Penitentiary in Lewisburg, located in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Then, in 1988, he was returned to Alaska to serve at Lemon Creek Correctional Center in Juneau. Then, before he died, he was also imprisoned at Spring Creek Correctional Center in Seward. Like I said, he died um, August 21st, 2014 at the Alaska Regional Hospital in Anchorage. And it was believed that he died of natural causes due to pre-existing health conditions. Um, and that is Yo Robert the Butcher Baker Killer. And there are a couple films and documentaries about him that I'm going to list in case you guys kind of want more about, know more about him. So the films are The Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage, Vanessa Hudgens, who stars as, um, I believe, let me, Cindy. I had to go back to figure out what, who her character was, who Vanessa Hudgens played. Um, I couldn't remember if it was her or Sherry. Um, and then John Cusack is in there as well. There's also a 2007 film, Naked Fear, with Danielle DeLuca, 
and it's loosely based on Robert's M.O. Like, it's not specifically about him, but it holds some of his M.O. in there. There's documentaries called FBI Files with um, the episodes called The Hunter. It was in 1999. Crime episodes featuring full 2007 episode of The Case. Investigation Discovery. The Alaska Ice Cold Killers episode called Hunting Humans. That aired January 25th of 2012. Travel Channel had Hidden Cities, which is season one, episode 12, called Anchorage, Robert Hansen's Most Dangerous Game. Then there's Mark of a Killer, season two, episode six. I had to write these all down because I was not going to remember all these. And then the TV series that have episodes either mentioning him or based on his M.O. is The Mindhunters and The Woods, which was Cold Case 2005. Exit Wounds, Roberts is referred to by name, which is the Season 5, Episode 21 of Criminal Minds. Hunting Ground, Law and, which is the episode name for Law & Order SVU, Season 13, Episode 15, was inspired by Robert. And then Hunted to Death on Oxygen's Mark of a Killer recounted on May 16, 2020. And then Investigation Discovery aired The Butcher Baker, Mind of a Monster, which aired September 2nd of 2020. Um, my references for today, before we get into just a little bit more, was definitely Wikipedia. Wikipedia helped a lot. And then also, I also wrote down my references, uh, The Cinema, Cinemaholic and Military Justice for All. Um, that had just a little bit more about his time in... The military and like when he like why he was discharged or like when he was discharged not why um so that is robert and reading about him right now makes me scared i think in like this is season one i think in a different season i'm just gonna do strictly women serial killers because they're few and far between but there are some and i feel like they're like the worst too but like reading this creep me out why do you want to hunt women like you had acne and a stutter I bet the acne cleared up there's no reason to like chain women up and take them to the woods like fly them on a personal plane to the woods to hunt them it's just mm, gross hate it men just kidding but mm, you know eh well, that is all I have for you today. And the next episode that is going to be coming out is the Arizona Mark Gudu, the baseline killer. Um, yeah, and let me tell you, I'm currently doing the research for this right now. And I like to write things down so I don't really mess anything up. That's why you hear me say I'm a lot. But there's one, two, three four, five, six, seven pages so far about him that I, and I'm not even done yet, but let me tell you, he is a doozy of a man. Like, it got to the point where there, it got to the point to where I had to make a timeline. I, I'm very excited for this episode because I think it's going to be, I mean, it's the third one, but I think it's going to be the best one yet. It's for sure the first story I've done so far that has a ton of information so I'm expecting that it's going to be a longer podcast which I'm also excited about 
but I am going to leave you on that note. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I did make my page public and not private anymore. It's p.kennedy with two Y's at the end. And then um, I have Facebook. That one's very private, mostly because I share, I just have family on there and stuff like that. And I share pictures of like my little brother. Um, and then I have a TikTok it's p.kennedy with two y's. I don't post on it, but if you want to send me, like, crimes that you want me to talk about, that and Instagram, perfect place to do so. And that is what I'm going to leave you guys at. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your evening, rest of your day, your weekend goes well, if you're listening to this on your weekend. And if you have any ideas of stuff that you want me to do, just DM me. I hope you guys all right, I hope you guys liked this episode. Follow, like, subscribe, iTunes. If you're on iTunes, it's a subscribe. If you want to leave reviews, by all means, go ahead. But I'll talk to you guys later. Bye!